Well, in 2011, after my years in high school, after trudging through college, after narrowly escaping seminary, after marriage, after three kids under the age of three, after serving at seven churches, I took on the hardest task of my life. That being that I signed up to coach a five-year-old baseball team. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's a lot like, uh, it's a lot like herding all those cats behind Winn-Dixie, <laughs> trying to herd them up and round them up. It's, it's, just, it's just something. And I had dreams. I'm telling you, man, I had dreams when, uh, when I first signed up to coach. Uh, I was going to produce at least, at minimum, one Babe Ruth. If I could just get one Babe Ruth out of the bunch, I felt like I, I, I had done my task. So, so that's what we did, man. We practiced. I mean, we practiced everything. I mean, I YouTubed. Um, I got equipment. I, y'all know me. I made spreadsheets of the strategy behind which we were going to practice. I mean, all of it. We were going to practice all the basics. I mean, you know the basics, like at five-year-olds throwing a curveball and um, turning the double play and, you know, <laughs> barehanding it coming from that lower slot to shoot it across the first. I mean, all the basics, right? Um, we were going to do all those things. And so our, our first practice game came. <clears throat> and it was, their, it was their time to shine. Their time to shine. Now, I'm going to be honest. One of them's in here. I'm not sure where the other one's at. Um, They were freakishly talented at five. And still are freakishly. Our team was absolutely stacked. So I was pumped. I mean, with their ability, and then, of course, my prowess in training. um, I mean, it was going to to be a stunning... I mean, in my head, ESPN was coming to film this first practice game. They showed up, and it was... Absolute insanity <laughs> from get to go. I mean, everything that we had had done um, just fell right off the table. We had one kid who took off to third when, after he hit the ball. We had one kid that ran to the pitcher because you know straight bases in the backyard. Um, we had one kid who was eating flowers. I'm not. He wasn't playing with flowers. I mean, he was eating flowers. Um, We had one kid who just took off and ran straight to the swing set. I mean, it was just nightmare. There was all kind of things going on. And and this this mom came up to me afterwards. And uh, she said, well, how do you think things are going? And I was was like, well, um, you know, they've got talent. And and I think we'll be good and blah, blah, blah. And she looked at me. She said this. She said, Troy, uh, talent is not their problem. Um, and I said, yeah, you know, maybe there needs to be some more training. Maybe we need to get back to a little bit more of the more basics, like fielding a ground ball or, you know, tucking the elbow when we swing. We need to get back to just some of those more basics. And she said, no, 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 no. She said, the basics you need to get to is teaching them just to listen. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, Troy, while you guys were doing what you're doing, they're listening to every voice in the stands around them. And in that moment... Teaching changed for baseball. And I wonder, I wonder if a lot of us in this room, and I believe a lot of us want to obey God. 
We want to do good for God. We want to perform, if you will. And our church is not a performance church, so hear me just say these words in context. We want to perform for the Lord, don't we? We want to obey. We want to do good. But I wonder how many times the noises around us kick us out of the base path. And we want to, but we hear so many other things that distract us. And I think that is a great segue to where we're headed today. Today we're going to see a man who was learning to obey. And what God could do with one man who was willing to obey. So if you will, let's look at this together as a bunch of cats who the Lord's trying to herd uh, through a text. And let's let the text speak to us today. Moses um, has gone from... A child in a basket, he's moved from a basket to a palace. He's moved from a palace to becoming a shepherd. He's moved from a shepherd to listening to the voice of a burning bush. Um, You know, a lot of times we talk about the burning bush narrative, and we go, oh, the bush was burning, but it never burned up. That's the miracle. Well, let's not forget, the bush was also talking. That's a pretty big miracle, okay? Maybe we should not call it the burning bush, but the talking bush. Because if I saw a bush burning, now I'm chasing a rabbit trail. Go with me for a second. But if I saw a bush burning, I would be like, oh, somebody set the bush on fire. But if a bush starts talking, I'm going to see a doctor, okay? I need, to, I need to hear from somebody. But nonetheless, this is what's going on. He knows three things. He knows that God said, um, when you go on mission to lead the people out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt, when you, when you go to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt, here's three things you need to know. Number one, God said the people are they're going to listen to you. The people will listen. Number two, Pharaoh is not going to listen. And then number three, I'm going to overthrow Pharaoh with the stick that you have in your hand. That's all he knew. That was the three things that he heard. That was the voice that he heard. And here is the kicker. The kicker is, he did it. (laughs) Like he went. I wonder how many of us, if that's all the Lord told us, if we would go. The people will listen to you. Um, Pharaoh's not going to, and that stick that you have in your hand is the thing that I'm going to use to pull the whole thing off. I wonder how many of us will go, I need a few more details, Lord. Just a few more, right? But nonetheless, he went. Chapter 4, verses 18 through 20 is is where we ended the text last week in our ongoing journey through the book of Exodus. Um, But nonetheless, he obeyed, and and he took two things. He took his family, he stuck them on a donkey... Took his wives, took his sons, took his brother Aaron, and then he took the staff of God in his hand. And, and this is a fascinating moment in the text. Um, it's no longer a stick. In the text right here, it turns from a stick to the staff of God. Um, so he took his family from God and his staff of God in his hand. Now we can mock Moses for a lot of things already, can't we? We can ma- mock the fact that Moses was a murderer. We can mock the fact that he was argumentative. But... We cannot mock the fact that his one step of obedience right here literally changed the entire cosmos. Changed everything we know to be true about life right here in the text today. This step of obedience. And so today, here's, here's what I want you to think about. This is, right here, if you hear this one thing, you can check out the rest of the time and just ponder this. The question I think the text is going to lead us to is this. What one step of obedience is the Lord asking you to take today? What is the one step? What is the one step He's asking you to take for your family? What is the one step He's asking you to take for yourself? 
What is the one step He's asking you to take at work? What is the one step He's asking you to take at school? What is the one step He's asking you to take as soon as you march out of these doors? What is the one thing that the Lord is asking you to do? And maybe it's multiple, but maybe the one thing He's asking you to do would quite literally change the world. Not just your world, but the world itself. And that's what we're going to see in this text. And know this, that some people will listen. And then some people won't listen. But if you listen and obey, God will accomplish His purposes through the sticks in your hand if you're willing to hand them over. That's where the text is going to take us. All right, you ready? Here we go. If you're a guest, all we do as a church is go straight through the Bible. Um, So we are in Exodus at this point. Uh, We've made it through chapter 1, through chapter 2, chapter 3. We're going through 4 through 7 today. And then Tyler will pick us back up where we end. And he's going to kill it this this coming week. So I'll be praying for Tyler. All he has to do is just lay before us all the ten plagues and explain what God's doing in them. And he needs to do it in about 35 minutes. So Tyler, good luck, brother. (laughs) Uh, So be praying for him. But he is going to do that for us next week. So be praying for him. All right. Number one. We're going to see obedience despite impossible obstacles. The voices around Moses are going to seem impossible, but we're going to see his obedience through it. Let's look at this. We pick back up in chapter 4, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. We're done. Let's leave. (laughs) We're out for the day, okay? Uh, This is what the pastor wants to do, if I'm just being dead honest with you, when you run across a text like this. Uh, But let's keep going in the text. Verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, with this said, there are three types of people in this room. There's a group of you guys right now. I don't want to look at some of you in the eyes, but some of you guys have just scooted right to the edge of your seat. Like, you're leaning in, you got your pen out, and you're like, here we go. I mean, like, this text elates you, because you're theologically heady, and you're like, here, we're going to tackle some serious stuff today, okay. And then there are some of you in this room who are like, sweating bullets right now. You're like, Troy, I'm going to need you to treat this passage like we treated the Nephilim and just dodge it like a dodgeball, <laughs> all right? So there's a lot of you who are still wondering what the Nephilim were, and I still tell you to go talk to Bart Lyle. Um, and then the third group of you in here are going, what's the big deal in this text? I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why this is so complicated. Well, the question in its simplest form that lays before us right here, this this incredible passage of Scripture is if if I could boil it down into maybe just a simple phrase, it would be something like this. Does God actively or passively harden hearts? Now I think all of us are on the same page. Everybody's like, oh, that's the question. Does God actively harden hearts? Or does God passively harden hearts? Welcome to Safe Haven and also Systematic Theology Level 4. Okay? 
So here's the deal. I would say my answer to that question is this. Does God actively harden hearts or does God passively harden hearts? My answer is resoundingly yes. Yes. To both. And that is called biblical concurrence. So if you're looking for a word to jot down, write down the word concurrence and then go study that. God does both. We'll never back away from the text of Scripture. And if you're in this room and you're a passive person, well, God never hardens a heart. Well, then you've got to rip the pages of Scripture out right here. Okay, But if you're a hard-headed, no, he actively does everything and there's no passive anything, we're just robots. Well, then you're going to have a big issue when it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. They're both concurrent to simultaneously. And so all that to say this, Moses is being taught this. Moses, I need you to obey me despite this impossible mountain. And the impossible mountain before him is, you obey even though I'm telling you ahead, ahead that I'm going to actively harden Pharaoh's heart. My will for Pharaoh and what I'm doing actively in his heart has nothing to do with your level of obedience or disobedience. You just disobey whether you, I mean, you obey whether you understand or not. You obey. That's your call, Moses. So he said this, I will harden his heart. That is an active purpose. We see that purpose fleshed out even more actively because that it is an active purpose. I will harden his heart so that, so that, He will not let the people go. I'm going to do this so something will not happen. That's not just passive. We can't just pawn it off and go, he hardened his own heart. Well, he did, but he also, God hardened his heart. Pharaoh's mind and heart had the final say in everything in the world because Pharaoh literally thought that he was a, you know this from history, he thought he was a what? Thought he was a God. So he thought, my will is supreme over all things. I'm a God in and of myself. The people believe that he was a God in and of himself. And so what the Bible is showing that God is sovereign even over the hearts and minds of those who think they are their own God. And so in this moment, this is not God taking a good man and making him evil. This is not God taking a good guy and going, oh, I don't want you to be good. I'm going to morph your heart and harden it so that it becomes evil. That's not what's happened in this passage. What's happening with the hardening is that God's taking an evil man and letting him feel the full force of his own rebellion against God. Maybe I could bullet down, if you're getting lost already, to S.T. Bunn. I don't mean S.T. Bunn. I don't know the man. Okay, redact that, retract that. His trucks, the, 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 con, the uh, cement trucks, right? That's the only one that I know in town. And, and so he you know, has these trucks that drive around. And, and I see the ST Bun trucks. And I always look at one thing as they're driving by. I'm always watching to see if they're spinning or not. Because if they're spinning, they're actively churning up concrete, right? And why do I want to know that? Because if that's happening, I don't want to get too close. Because I just don't want any concrete on my car. I don't want any to spill over or whatever. So with his trucks, if, if they're spinning, this, then it's, something is agitating what's inside, keeping it churned up, keeping it pliable, keeping it moldable. Now, if the truck is not spinning, then I know that it's either cleaned out or what's in it has done what? Hardened. It's set up. Well, then I'm just going to ride right up on that sucker and catch a draft. 
okay? Because if I'm driving the Jeep, the Jeep only gets four miles an hour, four, uh, four miles to the gallon, so you know I need some, some gas money, all right? So here's the deal. So I'm going to hone up on it. We can overcomplicate the hardening. This is exactly what's going on, and this is what's going on in your life. If you are a believer, if you are actively repenting, the reason that you're actively repenting is because God's churning that up in you. You're, you're, you're repenting, you're, you're, you're warring against your sin, and that warring against your sin has nothing to do with you. It's not because you just woke up one morning and said, I'm going to just war against my sin. It's because the Spirit of the living God is churning you, is doing something in you. That's a, that's a good thing. So that's why we can't look at our salvation and go, am I saved because I'm imperfect? First John says we should look at our salvation and go, am I saved because I'm actively warring? The question is, are you in the war? Not are you sit, idly sitting by going, well, I just think everything's good, so I know it's good. That's the person I'm terrified for. The person in this room who sits here and goes, I've got, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I've got it going on. I, you know, I, I hadn't cussed this week. I, it was because you got to step on a Lego. Um, I hadn't drank this week. I hadn't smoked this week. And I hadn't danced this week. That's for all the people who grew up in the SBC world. <laughs> right? Right. I hadn't done all these things. So I'm a pretty good person. If that's you, your heart's probably hard. You're being hardened. But the person in this room who goes, I'm gross. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I do, I don't want to do. And I'm warring against my sin. And oh my gosh, all these... I look back at the week and I see all the things that... Ah, Lord, I've offended you. And you're sitting here in this moment going... Oh, I don't feel worthy to be in your presence, Lord. I, I didn't even want to walk in here. I'm, and you're feeling that. The person who's feeling that, I go, praise the Lord. The, the Lord is churning you. By His Spirit, He's churning you. And that's a grace. It is His kindness that's leading you to repentance. And so we see that. Don't overcomplicate this text. Moses, obey me, despite this impossible thing before you. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and there's nothing you can do about it. Will you obey me or not? Now, let's look at the second thing. Number two, Moses, obey me, despite this impossible promise that I've also laid before Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh uh, got this impossible promise of, look, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to kill your child. And in this moment, I also think we see a fantastic display of God's passive hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So for all the people who were pumped at the first active part, let's look at this passive part, number two. Moses still plays no role, but guess who does? Pharaoh. Did you catch that powerful two-letter word in that text? If, if you do this, then this will occur. Guys, we cannot take the if-thens out of Scripture. They're real, and they're meaningful. We have real choices that have very real consequences. We're not just puppets. And in this moment, we see this. Look at this text. If you refuse to let Israel, my firstborn son, go... So now we see this passive culpability. I will kill your firstborn son as well. In other words, Pharaoh has a real tit-for-tat right before him. 
If you do this, then I will do that. A real choice and a real consequence. And both of church, both of these statements are true. Both. And there's no contradiction between them. Pharaoh is going to harden his own heart. You're going to see this pop up in Tyler's section tomorrow over 20 times. When the Scriptures repeat something 20 times, it's trying to get our attention on something, right? 20 times you're going to hear Pharaoh harden his heart, God harden his heart. Pharaoh, it's, it's going to be laid before us several times, and Pharaoh is going to harden his own heart, and God, God is also going to harden his heart for him simultaneously. In other words, Pharaoh's will and God's will are going to dance together. Not one in front of the other, but just like your life. In your life, you're in a dance with the Lord and your will is real. And God's will is also simultaneously real. And raise your hand if you go, that's the problem, Troy. I can't figure out which one is taking the lead. (laughs) Yeah, that's the hard part. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not true. So we see these things going on together. Kent Hughes says it this way. The paradox of divine sovereignty and human responsibility is not a puzzle to be solved, but a mystery to be adored. I love that. I love that phraseology. Pete ends, Peter ends says it this way. The entire exodus is a play in which God is the author, producer, director, and principal actor. That's pretty active, right? And when Pharaoh takes his turn on stage, which is a real turn, passive, God still gets all of the applause. And that's how life plays itself out. So now back to sonship context. This is why I think this is so important to God in this moment. God is saying, and that sonship theme is pretty big. He's saying, listen, I love my son. I love my son and you will not mess with my son. Israel is my son and you will not mess with him. And if you do... I will teach you who is the most important son in all the world. This is where he's going to go with this. Now let's chew through this together. And this is not because Israel was a good son. Let's be clear. Israel had done nothing to earn the favor of God. We've journeyed all the way through the book of Genesis and now into Exodus. They're pretty rotten people, a lot like a lot of us. Israel has been found in the dumpster, if you will. Alright? But God is so worried about his son Israel. Because the ultimate son will come through the nation of Israel. So if we look at Israel and we go, why is God so protective over Israel? It's because the son is going to come through it and nothing is going to stop that plan of redemption from occurring. That's why God's so powerful in this. And God will do the impossible, the extraordinary, to protect the coming of the son. So I want you to catch it. Catch what's going on. God is using Moses' obedience to protect his son Israel, to protect the son Jesus Christ, to make us sons and daughters who one day will cry out, Abba, Father. It's the gospel all the way back in the book of Exodus. And so, it's the prodigal son, but it's the prodigal son on steroids. Y'all know the the story of the prodigal son, right? There's a son... Wanted his inheritance of the father, got it, went away, spent it. I was eating pea pods that the, uh, that the pigs were eating. He's in the sty. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. And then one day, the prodigal son does what? He comes back. He's wasted everything. 
And the beauty of the prodigal son is as he comes back, the father goes, hey, welcome home. Welcome home, son. Now, here's why I say this is the prodigal son on steroids. It's the prodigal son on steroids because the nation of Israel is out here on its own, eating pea pods. And God says, I'm not going to wait for you to come back. I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you. And so this is the glory of this story. And if you're saved in this room, that's your story. You didn't pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just decide, oh, I'm going to do it. What happened is God came and got you out of the pigsty and cleaned you up and said, you're a precious child of my yine. God actually pinned that. And, and for all the young people in here who have no idea about real rock and roll, you're like, I don't get it. What, what did he just do? Uh, maybe for y'all I can say, God didn't go to you. Bye, 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 bye. Is that still, that's still too young? Or old? I don't know any new stuff, okay? Um, yeah, okay. Let's keep going. All right. Rind it back in. All that to say, the dumbfounding part of this passage is not that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The dumbfounding part of this text is that God graciously did the impossible to set the hearts free of his covenant children at all costs, even if it meant hardening Pharaoh's heart while Pharaoh hardened his own heart. That's the gospel. All right, let's keep going. Let me close this section as clear as I possibly can. Because the next section is going to be super fast as we go through it. I want you to hear me clearly, church. Because this is always a touchy subject. Now, I mean, we've preached straight through the book of Romans. So the most of y'all, it's not a touchy subject. You're like, I know where we're at, all right? But there's probably somebody in here who... This is the first time you've ever contemplated thoughts like this. Let me say this to you. There is no category in Scripture for someone who wants to come to Christ that cannot come to Christ. That's not, it's not in the Bible. So if you're sitting here going, whoa, if that's the fact, then God hardens the heart, then, then what if somebody wants to come? There's no category for that. There's only a category in Scripture for whosoever wants to come can come. There's only a category in Scripture for why any of us ever came in the first place. That's what the text is teaching us. So with that said, let's jump on into Moses' now obedience, despite his past disobedience. Verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. So he's obeying. God's accomplishing his purposes, even in the midst of impossible obstacles. And then we're going to have a bizarre story right here. The Lord sought to put him to death. Now, that should raise some red flags all of a sudden. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint stone and cut off her son's foreskin and then touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom, bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And it was then uh, that she said, A bridegroom of, bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, I'm going to guess... That nobody in this room has ever had that happen to them. Just, just guessing that, okay? Um, you know, your wife was like, "Hey, honey, come in here, take your shoes off." <laughs> and then you do, and then all of a sudden, there's a bloody mess. Okay, uh, it, well, 
maybe I just assume, maybe I should say it this way. If that has ever happened in the room, I've got the number of a therapist. <laughs> and y'all need to go talk as a family to um, Al Saunders, okay? I'm just assuming this has never happened to any of you. But it can be quite the, th- the curveball. <clears throat> but the point is this. The Lord is ready to kill the very person that He sent out to accomplish His mission. That doesn't make, seem to make a lot of sense, does it? And our first instinct is to think, well, okay, that's because he questioned God a lot. We've been going through the questioning. That's our first instinct. Well, of course, he complains, he argues, but this is really not the the case at all. God's not offended by our questions. Somebody needs to hear that. If God's offended by our questions, then he's offended by Jesus who questioned in the garden. That can't be possible. Jesus in the garden going, hold on a second. I don't want to drink this cup. But then, not my will, but yours be done. So don't, let's not get in that, that vein of thought. But the context is pretty clear. Moses is ready to obey Pharaoh, but he's been disobedient in giving the covenant sign of circumcision to his own son. And how on earth are you going to lead the people out of Israel as their leader if you're not willing to lead your own family, Moses? He was ticked. And in this moment, it gets real personal, real quick. So it's a curveball, but it's a practical curveball. So he hasn't covenantally circumcised his son. And the whole point of this, I think, as we look at obedience is, and and clearing out the noise around us, is that God cares about obedience in the small things just as much as he cares about obedience in the big things. Pick up your family and move and go do my will. On it. Confess your sin and pray to me. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy doing the big things, God. Right? I could go through all the small things, but we'd be here for an hour. And I'll just stress the Holy Spirit does that in your own heart. But the fact is, the Lord's probably telling you to do some small things. And we're focused on, that's okay, I'll do the small things if you'll tell me the 10-year plan. God don't care about the 10-year plan. He wants the one-second plan. That's worship. What about now? What about now? What about today? It's what's before him. And so, how could he lead this nation if he failed to lead his own household? His, his wife, however, <laughs> his wife was going to keep the covenant through the shedding of blood at all costs. And in this, I think we can just simply walk away with this, looking at this by saying three things. Number one, I do thank God. I thank God for the men in this room who are willing to lead. Praise the Lord for you. Praise the Lord for, for, for your... I don't think anybody in here would go, I'm knocking it out of the park. But praise the Lord for the men in this room who are going, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying one day at a time. There's another song. Sweet Jesus. <clears throat> Number two. Also thank God for God-fearing wives who take the gospel serious enough to intervene when necessary. Thank you, ladies, who are willing to take the lead. Like the gospel means so much that you'll snatch whoever up, pull them into the... I can't tell you how many times Julie Beth has pulled me aside and been like, hey, back the bus up, what are we doing? Praise the Lord for Julie Beth. And praise the Lord for you ladies who are leading. And you take the gospel seriously. And then number three... Thank God for His willingness to redeem, forgive, and be graciously patient with all of us. 
when we fail to follow. Obey. Moses, you're not cast out. You did disobey. But I'm going to be gracious to you. And march on, my friend. March on. Walk in grace. Sin no more. Obedience despite community reactions is the next noise that we see in this text. Verse 27. Then the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and he met him at the mountain of God and he kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had heard him speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and they gathered together with all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed just as God said. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. I want to pause here. Why is God doing it this way? Why is he doing the whole harden the heart and soften the heart? And Why is he doing it this way? Why is he making it difficult? Why isn't he just snapping his fingers and saying, why isn't God saying, let my people go? Wham, they're free. Like, Why didn't he do that? Well, he's teaching things. And that's always a lesson in obedience. He's, he's teaching us as we struggle to obey. He's teaching the people a lesson about themselves. Number one. If Pharaoh would have said, hey, um, Pharaoh, I'm going to need you to let the people go. If Moses would have been like, that's cool. Hey man, go, let them go. Hey, if they want to go, they can go. No big deal, right? If he would have done that, the people probably would have reconsidered, wouldn't they? I mean, compare the options. I got this cool guy who's cool with me staying, cool with me going. He's providing a job for me. He's providing a house for me. He's providing food for me. He's a pretty cool dude, right? If Moses would be like, yeah, eh. And then Moses walks up and goes, hey, you can stay with that guy who's giving you food, water, clothing. You're having to work, but at least you have these things. Or you can follow me, and we're going to wander around for 40 years where? Smack in the middle of the desert. Probably would have been like, I'm going to go with the guy who's got gold all up and down his neck. All right? So why is God... He's teaching the people something in this moment about themselves. He's teaching them that they need to depend on Him for all things. So He has to be hard in this moment. And He's also teaching to Moses about, a lesson about leadership. In obeying, following the Lord, leading, it is easy to lead or obey the Lord's directions when people accept you, isn't it? When everything's good, when everything's applauding, when it's all smiles and giggles, but it's, pretty, it's easy to obey then. The Lord says... I'm going to need you to walk across this chasm, and as you take a step, I'm going to lay before you, like the movie, I'm going to lay before you a stone that's just going to appear. Right? And you take that first step, and it happens, and everybody's like, yeah! I mean, we're just strutting on through there then, right? I'll just follow away. Boom. Right? Everybody wants to be a leader when it's all well and giggles and cuddly and smiley. Everybody wants to obey. Yeah! Right? But here's what he's teaching Moses. It's a test of faith to obey when people are going to reject you. And in this moment, they obey. And 19 verses later, they hate him and criticize him. He's teaching Moses something in this moment. Everyone ridicules the leader or the one obeying when times are hard. When it gets rough. When it's not going the way that people thought. And here's where this phrase comes out. I mean, I know that person's in charge. But if I was in charge, we'd do it this way. If I was in charge, 
things will be done different. And some of you in this room are guilty of that. Some of us in this room are guilty of that. Because we're too focused on the human leading rather than the God who gave the instruction to lead. It's always humble, right? It's always that humble, humble smack in the face. That person's leading. They're attempting to lead, whatever it is. They're doing whatever God's called them to do. And they're, they're doing it. <clears throat> it kind of sounds like I'm, talking, I'm not talking about me, okay? I know I do it wrong. Let's just get that out there right off the table. Like if you, if you come to me and go, hey, I would do it different, I will probably look at you and go, well, then you should do it. <laughs> Some of y'all have heard me say that to you. Just do it, okay? Because I know I'll jack it up. <clears throat> trying to lead, they're trying to lead, whatever it is. And it's never, you're doing it wrong. It's always behind your back. Those whispers. If I was, I mean, he's trying the best he can, she's trying the best she can. But if I was doing it, we would do it this way. Right? He's teaching Moses something. You've all felt that. The point is this. If your level of obedience is dependent upon the reactions of people around you, then you're obeying those people and not God. When God speaks clearly, it doesn't matter what anybody says. You keep on obeying. You keep on obeying. And I'll be honest with you, I've only heard from the Lord clearly about four times in my life. If I'm being dead honest. Number one, the Lord told me to give somebody... Something one time, and I didn't have it to give, and I just trusted, and then God provided it through somebody else, and this person came up to me and said, hey, God told me to give this to you because you're supposed to give it to somebody else, and I almost had a heart attack right there. Just be, I was like, whoa, because I don't hear from the Lord clear. Like Some of you guys hear from the Lord clear. The Lord has to take a hammer and smash me in the head before I'm able to hear. Right? That was one of the times. The second time was, I was uh, me and Julie Beth had broken up in high school and, and trying to figure some things out in our life. And it was just, there was a lot of sin and it was just messy and yuck and trying to figure things out. And, and um, I was in Gardendale, First Baptist, and the Lord spoke to me very clear. And in that day, He said, Pursue Julie Beth as your wife. And here we are. 20, <laughs> 28, 27, 27 years later. <laughs> it's over 25 years later. <laughs> uh, not perfect, it's a mess. But we're still there. Um, the third time, God told me to uproot our family and move here to Tuscaloosa. And that he was going to plant a church north of the river and south of the river. And by gosh, she's done it. And for those of you who have been on the ride with us, he has done it not in the way that I would have ever chosen. (laughs) But he's done it. And there is a fourth thing he's told me, but it hasn't happened yet. And I'm still waiting. And there's wisdom in consulting the church and consulting your friends, not the yes friends. Don't consult the yes friends, the yes people who are like always on your side, you know. Hey, I think God told me to blow up my car. And your friend, that, that yes friend's like, well, I think you should blow up your car. <laughs> That's not the friend I'm talking about. You need the one that needs going to go back the bus up. I don't think he's telling you that. I think that's Satan. <laughs> All right. Um. But if the Lord tells you to do something, 
do it. And then, man, as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story, the next whole chunk is just the outworking of obedience. Um, I don't have time to read it. Well, for those of you who are super fast, uh, go ahead and, and, okay, read that real fast. This is what happens. It's basically everything God said was going to happen. Go to the next one. Boom. Then that happens. That's intriguing, right? And then the next thing. And then that happened, all right? Go study that uh, through this afternoon. And what you're going to see is the outworking of everything that God has said, that's what happens. So if you're wondering, but I want to know what happens. Well, you already know, Okay. He's going to go to the people. Pharaoh's going to say no, all the things, right? And he's going to tell the people. The people are going to believe. It's, it's just a, it's a big thing. Um, and then we see obedience despite age. Even through all that, we end with this. And Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. <laughs> now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. For those of you in the room going, I won't obey, but I'm not old enough yet. I've still got so much to learn. It doesn't matter your age. Like all, all the young people here, I'm, I'm too young, I haven't learned everything yet. God used Timothy. And that brother was about 14. Okay. Or the people who go, yeah, but I'm 32. I, you know, I am in the prime of my life, but I've got three kids. You know, they're, they're doing the thing. You know, I'm pretty busy right now. Doesn't matter. Or the person going this, wow, Troy, I'm past my prime. And by the way, I've got grandkids now. And I just said grandkids, and everybody with grandkids just lit up. I don't know what that's like. I, we're, you know, any, okay, whoo. Um, that's the next phase. But uh, it doesn't matter if you got grandkids or not. The question is, are you going to obey? Or this, well, I'm too old. I don't have anything to offer. This brother was 80 and 83. Um, Our age, weight, stamina, they're all pointless. If God can take a stick and change the literal cosmos, He can use you despite your age. Or your time in the 40. It doesn't matter. Our willingness is the point. It's all for God's glory. So a lot's unfolding real fast. And I don't want you to miss the stunning overall purpose of all of this. It's fun to chase all the rabbit tails... Rabbit tails? Do rabbits have tails? Yeah, they got little cotton tails. Um, it's the song. Here comes Peter. Um, what a church. <laughs> Thank you for being gracious to me. Um, a lot's unfolding. Chapter 3, verse 8. Here's what God said. I've come down and I'm going to deliver my people out of slavery. Chapter 3, verse 10. Moses, I'm going to use you to bring my people out of slavery. Chapter 3, verse 17. Tell the people, I promise, to set them free from slavery in the midst of their affliction. Chapter 4, verse 23. You go tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may serve me. And that's going to be echoed over and over and over and over. Don't miss the overarching point. The point is this. Through our human freedom... We chain ourselves to slavery with with the world, with sin and gross stuff, the devil all day long. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. But through obedience to Christ, we are set free to be redeemed from our flow up to the top of our hair-ish. Through obedience to Christ, He redeems our hearts, souls, minds, and strength and sets them all free. That's the overarching point. So, 
God has come down in the person and work of Christ to you to set you free. And you'll either embrace what God has said about the Son or you will become hardened in your heart. People are prone to restrict us, but Christ has the power to redeem. Tasks are prone to restrict us, but Christ has the power to redeem. External debates, prone to restrict us, but Christ has the power to redeem. Internal dialogue with yourself, prone to restrict you, but Christ has the power to redeem. Government is prone to restrict you, but Christ has the power to redeem. Religion is prone to restrict you. But Christ, through the gospel of grace, has the power to redeem. And His redeeming power for Exodus, for the nation of Israel, came in the form of a stick. For us, dearly beloved, it came in the form of a cross. In the cross is His power to love. In the cross is His power of grace. In the cross is His power of hope. In His cross is the power of redemption. And in His cross is the power to set you free and bring you home. Hallelujah. And bringing us home is going to be the greatest exodus of all, church. That's going to be the greatest exodus of all. The Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. So God, I don't know. I don't know where the text falls. Some are going to walk out with a theological conundrum. Some are walking away with something you've told them to do or not do. But my focus now, Lord, is for the one in here who's just still not trusted in you as the Son. So, Father, I pray today as we continue in worship and continue in communion, as the gospel continues to be presented, that if there's one in this room who does not know you, that today you would overcome their hard heart. Draw them to yourself. Save them, Lord. Awaken them. Overcome their resistance. Lord, that they would see the Son and His power to redeem. That they would contemplate the fact that He lived the life that they could not live. He obeyed the law that they could not obey. He fulfilled the holiness of God. And and that... God, today that they would embrace, that they would take out, expose their rotten heart and hand it to You who can replace it and take the heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Would You do the exodus personally in someone's heart today and give them life abundantly through Jesus Christ? Save today. Restore the joy of salvation to the child of God who's walked away. And encourage the beloved saint who is trying their best, (laughs) tripping up, albeit, but trying their best to love you. 
would you wrap your arms around them and hold them close to your bosom? Teach us that you alone have the power to redeem.